I want you to imagine for a moment that you are in Ukraine. You've served in the army defending your beloved homeland since the beginning of the invasion. You've seen a lot of casualties. Though you've just been given a command of a company, you're tempted to give up. Is battle against such a powerful enemy worth it? You don't know how much longer you can go. Suddenly, your battle-hardened commanding officer asks to meet with you. And he has seen even more devastation than you, but has this unshakable assurance of victory. His example and his faith have kept you in the fight. And your commanding officer tells you that he has some critical instructions on how to use new game-changing weapons in the next counteroffensive. Would you make it a priority to be at that meeting? Absolutely. Timothy is in a similar situation. He's in a battle. Consider what's going on with his mentor. Paul had said at the end of chapter one that all who are in Asia have turned away from me. We know that Paul is in prison when he's writing this letter to Timothy. He's awaiting death. He's been calling Timothy to not be ashamed of the Lord or of me, his prisoner. There's the sense of urgency. The stakes are high. Last night, Brian took us through the second half of 2 Timothy 2, where Paul called Timothy to persevere like a soldier or an athlete in the mission of entrusting the gospel to others. Now, this morning, we're going to look at the second half of 2 Timothy 2, and we're going to see that Paul gives a series of commands to flesh out what Timothy should do and what he should avoid as he engages in that mission. Now, you might expect, as Paul uh, is, is preparing Timothy, you might expect Paul to say something like, okay, get ready to rumble with those who are out of line. Make sure you win every argument. It's time to sharpen up those debate skills. But that's not what Paul instructs Timothy. It's, it's not what you might expect. He says, be kind and patient. Faithfully and accurately teach the word. This is the way to be a useful vessel for Jesus. And that's true for Timothy, and it's true for all of us as Christians who are, who are in a spiritual battle. Perhaps you've experienced uh, this reality like I have. When I was six years old, God used a kind lady named Pat to lead me to Jesus. She took me seriously and, and, and explained the gospel even though I was a child. And as I thought about that experience later on, I, I thought to myself, she probably had other things she could be doing other than talking to a six-year-old, but she took the time to explain the gospel. I became a Christian. Then when I was in college at 18 years old, um, I had plans, I came to Penn State, I had plans to change the world, but I was arrogant. And I was also blind to how domineering I could be with other people. I overestimated my abilities. I remember I was fairly disciplined, but despite my best efforts, I could not stamp out certain sins in my life. God used another individual. He used a, a kind, old, wise man named Bill to help me. Bill met with me. He got to know me. Uh, he spent hours with me. He taught me how to study uh, God's word. When I came to college, I, I viewed God's grace as what I needed to become a Christian, and my view of God's grace was like this big. That that's what I need to become a Christian, and then I better, I, I better work my pants off to be a good Christian. But through, through that time in, 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 with Bill and the scriptures, I realized that you never grow out of God's grace, and my view of God's grace just got bigger and bigger and bigger. It changed my life. So what, what did God use to rescue me? 
He used kind people speaking God's word. And the passage we're going to look at this morning is going to flesh that out in more detail for us. So before we dive in, let me orient you to your outlines there. The main point is at the top of the page. I'll read that for us. To be a useful vessel to Jesus, you must pursue living and teaching God's word rightly and flee quarrels. The first and the third points, um, there's going to be a lot of commands that we're going to look at that are roughly sorted into pursue God's word and flee quarrels. You might view them as almost like two buckets, stuff you must do, stuff you must avoid. And counterintuitively, we're going to go over points A and B two times. So we'll go through it, and then we'll go through it again. Just keep on putting the things in the right buckets. The center of this, uh, of the outline, is point two. And this is um, the, the pursue and the flee commands in points one and three almost create a sandwich around point two. Uh, point two is, is, is the, the, what's highlighted in the text. That's where I get the title, teapots and toilets from. You have to wait and see what that's about when we get to point two. Uh, so everything before that leads up to it, everything after it looks back to it. So I'm going to read the, the text we're looking at in chunks this morning. So we'll read the first paragraph and then we'll talk about it and we'll just work through the outline that way. So please uh, give attention to God's word as I read from 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 14. Paul writes, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened, they are upsetting the faith of some. So let me draw your attention up to verse 14. Paul's going to begin his directions to Timothy, particularly targeting his teaching of other peoples. And the first thing we see there is something that Timothy must do. He says, remind them of these things. Well, who's the who? That's earlier in chapter two, verse two, it talked about uh, faithful men and women who would be able to entrust, who would be able to teach others also. Paul says here to remind them, to bring to their memory, we're all prone to forget. And then he says these things. That's the content of all that we've seen in chapter one and two so far, the, the foundational truths of the grace that is in Christ Jesus, the call to guard the gospel entrusted to us, teaching the word, Remember, back in chapter one, Paul had to remind Timothy of these things. Now he's calling Timothy to remind others of these things. Then he flips over to what you must avoid. He says, charge them before God to not quarrel about words. That phrase, before God, it's a solemn reminder that Everything that is done is, is done uh, in, in, in God's view. It's something that we can forget, right? Probably going along, focus, remember that God, we're living our lives before God. Um, this command to not quarrel about words is, is highlighted in Paul's first letter to Timothy. His first letter to Timothy began and ended with a warning about negative influencers and false teachers uh, who stirred up quarrels that led to divisions and ungodliness. So this is a theme that Paul's coming back to in 2 Timothy. 
He continues on and tells, gives some reasons why uh, Timothy should, should remind his hearers to avoid quarrels about words. It says there in the rest of the verse, they, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. I want you to see here that quarreling is categorically bad. There's no redeeming value in it. Now, maybe it's the case that the men that Timothy were tra- was training thought that entering, that entering quarrels was the way to stop the false teachers. Maybe that's why they need to be reminded not to do that. But I think what, what Paul is laying out for, for Timothy here is that's a civilian affair. Remember he talked about don't get in, entangled in civilian affairs. Quarrels about words, civilian affairs that you need to avoid. Uh, Paul, this, this admonition addresses a lie that I think we and others are tempted to believe. I think we're tempted to believe that, that arguments will do good. Have you ever seen arguments happen online in social media? How often do you see those uh, promoting good and righteousness? Not very often. The reality is quarrels about words damages. So now Paul is going to shift in verse 15. He's been talking about uh, Timothy's teaching of others. He's going to focus on Timothy's own example. And we're going to go through those buckets again, A and B. He starts off with uh, what he must avoid. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Your best, there's this sense of striving for God. Remember, God is the ultimate audience again. I want you to notice here, grace is not opposed to effort. God's grace actually frees us to strive. Christ is worthy of nothing less. Let's walk through the three descriptions that Paul gives for an approved worker, and then I'll give a picture of what this might look like today. So the first phrase there is as, as one approved. That means as one who has been tested. This person has met the requirements. The second phrase, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. This worker is known for quality work, not shoddy work. There's, there's not hypocrisy in how this worker conducts himself. And then third, rightly handling the word of truth. There's an accurate handling of God's word, which again, contrasts to the quarrels about words that he had mentioned before. Here's the picture that comes to mind, contextualized for us today. Imagine a student presenting herself to her professor and asking for a letter of recommendation and the professor being happy to give it. Why would that, why would that professor, why would her professor be happy to give her a letter of recommendation? Well, it would likely be, be because she did good work. She showed mastery of the material over the semester. She came to class. She did the homework. She passed the exams. She would be an example of one who was approved. And that's what Paul is calling Timothy. And he said, in your example, show yourself as one approved. Now he switches in a little bit more, with a little bit more text to what Timothy needs to avoid in his example. He says in verse 16, but avoid irreverent babble. Irreverent, that's an idea of no fear of God. Babble, that's aimless discussion. Some translations have godless chatter. And Paul goes immediately into why Timothy should avoid irreverent babble. Look at what the rest of the the text says there. First, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. The effect on individuals is they become less like God. We're created to become more like God. Second, He says, and their talk will spread like gangrene. 
Gangrene is the, is the death of body tissue due to a lack of blood or due to an infection. Perhaps some of you have seen a movie set in the American Civil War where a soldier had to get his arm cut off because of gangrene. And, and the reason that that severe action is taken is if his arm's not cut off, that gangrene will spread and infect the whole body. And that's the idea that Paul is getting at here. If Timothy does not avoid irreverent babble, not only will it lead to further ungodliness in individuals, but that kind of ungodliness will spread and infect many. So severe action is warranted. You need to just avoid irreverent babble altogether. Then Paul goes on to some real live examples. He names names here. He says, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Hymenaeus was actually mentioned in the first chapter of 1 Timothy, which we haven't read. In that chapter, Paul says that Hymenaeus had made a shipwreck of his faith and had been excommunicated, but evidently he's still around. He says a little bit about what, they, uh, what characterizes Hymenaeus and Philetus in verse 18. He says, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. Now, we're not given a lot of detail as to what they were teaching. Perhaps it was a denial of the bodily resurrection of believers, which would then call into question uh, Christ's own resurrection from the dead, which is the pillar of, of Christianity. But we do know, so we don't have a lot of detail of what they, were, what, what they were teaching, but we do know the result. And you can see the result right there at the end of verse 18. They are upsetting the faith of some. So the effect of, of uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus' teaching is not building up people's faith, but is actually increasing doubt. So today, just like with Timothy, if you want to be a useful vessel to Jesus, you likewise should pursue handling God's word rightly and flee godless chatter. And that's true both in your teaching of other people and also in your own, own example. Before we go on to the next point, let's pause and consider this question that, that each of the speakers has been asking. How does this section, how does what we've just seen here practically equip us in the fight of gospel ministry? First, it cautions us against quarrels and godless talk. It cautions us against quarrels and godless talk. As you enter into conversations with people, whether it be in person or online, Ask yourself this question, am I entering an aimless discussion or, or am I encouraging an argument right now? And if you are quarreling, here is the application. Stop. Repent. A number of years ago, I was at a picnic and there were some guys, some of my friends were getting into a, a discussion about debatable, a, a debatable topic, a secondary issue. And I was so tempted to, to enter into that, that discussion, but I realized more heat was being generated than light, and God gave me the grace to, to, to first of all, even recognize that. And I, and I, I wanted to enter in, there was the, I was experiencing FOMO, the fear of missing out, and, and then I, but I concluded, you know what? FOMO is better to experience than sinning against my brothers. And God gave me the grace just to not enter into that discussion. The second way that this passage equips us in the fight for gospel ministry is it inspires us to take every opportunity to grow in the knowledge and skill in, the, in understanding and applying the scripture. So it inspires us to take every opportunity to become more skillful in God's word. And both on your own and, and 
and in opportunities like here at Focus or at Fall Conference, Women's Conference, maybe campus retreats and seminars, you have a lot of opportunities to grow in your understanding of God's word and your skill in, in, in teaching it to others. You know, most of what I do today, I learned back in college. Learned, I learned then how to, how to study the Bible and how to lead Bible studies. I had the privilege of uh, leading uh, Bible Study 201 here at Focus. And I, I have incorporated some of the notes that I took all the way back in college. I'm just sharing it. I'm just passing on to you what, what has been passed on to me. So let me ask you this. Do you put as much effort into knowing and applying God's word as you do with your studies or with your athletics or your hobbies? And I would just invite you, put as much effort, if not more, in, into knowing and applying God's word. So Paul now is going to take a break from his commands to Timothy, and we arrive at that, that, that the center, the second point. We arrive at Paul's controlling metaphor. Controlling metaphor here is one of a house. It's alluded to with the, the foundation and, he, um, and then also vessels in a house. And here we're going to see why Timothy must pursue God's word, why he should flee quarrels. And in a nutshell, it's because that's, the, that's what's needed to be a useful vessel. One that, a useful vessel, the ones that's sealed by God and one that's cleansed for God. Let me read verse 19 to 21 and we'll dig in a little bit more. Verse 19, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Useful vessels to, for Jesus are sealed by God. And we see that right uh, at the beginning in, in verse 19. Paul writes, but, but God's firm foundation stands. And I want you to notice the contrast to the end of verse 18 there. In spite of the work of evil teachers like Hymenaeus and Philetus, God's foundation of truth stands. 1 Timothy 3.15, in 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul equates the church as, he calls the church the household of God, the pillar and buttress of the truth. The implication, I think, is that God's people bearing witness to God's truth is, the, is a foundation. It's foundational. And he goes on, Paul goes on to say, God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. A seal is a stamp of authority, and he's going to give us two seals. And notice what he says. The first seal is this. The Lord knows those who are his. This is a quote of Moses' words to Israel from a story in Numbers chapter 16. Some well-known men uh, despised the Lord and Moses and were seeking to draw Israelites away. They were false teachers. And the Lord, in that chapter, read it sometime, number 16, the Lord dramatically punishes those evildoers. The ground literally swallows them up. And he demonstrates who were his people. And so this first seal emphasizes divine sovereignty. God can be relied upon to discriminate between his loyal and disloyal servants. I want you to bear in mind here that not everyone who claims to be a Christian is a, a real Christian. The second seal is this, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. 
In that same story, in number 16, the Lord warns Israel through Moses to separate themselves from those evildoers and their practices. This second seal emphasizes human responsibility. True believers make a practice of turning away from sin. If habitual sin characterizes someone where they're not repenting, they're probably not a Christian. Paul is effectively saying here that Hymenaeus and Philetus didn't belong to the people of God, though they hung around the people of God, because they were not marked by uh, departing from iniquity. So we see here useful vessels for God are, or for, uh, for Jesus are sealed by God. We also see that they're cleansed for God. Look at verse 20, and here's where we, we, we get this vessel imagery. Paul writes, now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. You see the two different kinds of vessels, gold and silver, wood and clay. Some for honorable use, that's the gold and silver vessels, and some for dishonorable uses, the, the wood and clay. And so we see this, these, these contrasting vessels. This is the controlling metaphor that Paul set up. This is where I get the title from, teapot and toilet. So I'm thinking silver teapot, and that probably in this time there, there were chamber pots, probably made of clay for removing human excrement from the house. Not a pleasant thought. So I contextualize it for today in terms of toilets, teapots and toilets. You're probably not going to forget that title. Paul goes on to apply this metaphor in the next verse, verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. There's a threefold description of the vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master ready for every good work. You get this picture that, that these vessels are set apart for a special purpose. They're, they're cleansed for God. It's like a silver teapot that perhaps your, your, your mom has kept in the, in the, in the closet, um, protected from dust, that's polished and brought out when a special guest arrives. Paul tells Timothy, how do you be a vessel for honorable use? Well, at the beginning of verse 21, he says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable. In the context, what is dishonorable? Well, if you go back to verse 14, it's the quarrels about words. In verse uh, 16 and 17, it's the irreverent babble leading to ungodliness. In verse 19, it's the iniquity that we're supposed to depart from. Now, Paul doesn't give a description here uh, of the vessels for dishonor. We're going to get that tonight uh, with Mike Kreider. He's going to unpack that more. We're going to learn about the toilets from Mike Kreider, 1 Timothy 3, the first half of that. Uh, but I do want to say this about um, vessels for dishonorable use. They may hang around Christian circles, but they've denied the power of the gospel in their lives. They're like Hymenaeus and Philetus. Hymenaeus and Philetus were around, but they were denying the, gospel in their, the power of the gospel in their lives. And I want you to notice one other thing here. You cannot escape being a vessel. Everybody is a vessel. The question is, what kind of vessel, vessel, not vessel, vessel you're going to be? Do you want to be a teapot or do you want to be a toilet? And by God's grace, He gives us an opportunity. He invites us to be vessels of honor, uh, to be those teapots. So Timothy, today, just like with Timothy, if you want to be a useful vessel to Jesus, if you want to be a teapot, if you want to be a Timothy and not a Hymenaeus. 
It means actively cleansing yourself from what is dishonorable, quarrels, sin. And before we go on to the third point, let's, let's pause and consider again some application. How does this section practically encourage us in the fight of gospel ministry? How does it encourage us? Again, two things. First, this section grounds us. It grounds us. Are you ever tempted to discouragement when you see evildoers, especially religious evildoers, thriving and negatively influencing others? Man, I'm tempted to to discouragement. This passage tells us, especially remembering those two seals, don't lose heart. The gospel encouragement is this. The Lord knows those who are his, and his truth is going to stand. Hymenaeus' and Philetus' can't frustrate God's plan. Secondly, it encourages us this way. It assures us. It assures us. Do you ever feel inadequate and wonder if God can use you? This passage says that if you cleanse yourself from what is dishonorable, if you are marked by a pattern of repentance, God will use you. The key is not how smart or how polished you are. God uses cleansed vessels. So cleanse yourself from quarrels and sin and give yourself to God's kingdom work. Years ago, my, my wife and I ministered to a lady who was super shy. She was, she was a bit awkward, but she was also super smart. She was a chemical engineering major. And I remember her uh, telling me she was gaining a vision uh, to invest the gospel with others. I remember her telling me that the first time she led a Bible study, it was the scariest thing that she'd ever done. I, I thought to myself, chemical engineering would be the scariest thing that I'd ever done if I were you. But she, she, she persevered. She shared the gospel with others at her school and also with her family. And we saw other students, even family members coming to faith in Christ. God used this wonderful lady, not because she was charismatic, but because she had cleansed herself for use by the master. Do you, I do wanna share one warning here that's sobering. If repentance from sin is not a mark in your life, you may not be a Christian. You may think you are, but you know what? Thinking you are a Christian does not make you a Christian. If this is you, the, the application is, please, bro, please, dear friend, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Let's move on to the third point. Paul is now going to return to giving similar commands to what he gave earlier, but he's going to do it in reverse order. It's going to feel a, a bit repetitive, You know why? Because it is. But like Timothy, we must need it. So let me read verse 22 to 26, and then we'll wrap up. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Flee quarrels and pursue God's word. We'll we'll start off with what you must avoid. Paul says in verse 22, so flee youthful passions. So that indicates that this thought is flowing from verse 21. If you want to be a vessel for honorable use, this is a necessary action. So you, he says, flee. That's a strong verb. He doesn't say, waltz away slowly. 
He doesn't say that. He says flee. Passions, sometimes that's assumed to be sexual lust, and we should certainly be fleeing sexual immorality, but I think in context here, he's talking about quarrels about words, irreverent babble that might be manifested in hot-headed answers and arguments over trivial things. He's saying, you need to flee that stuff. That's the negative thing to avoid. Then he switches over to what you must do. That's the other bucket there. He says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Pursue, that's a strong verb again. It takes effort, it takes striving. Remember, effort and striving is not opposed to God's grace. These concepts uh, that he mentions all fit together. Let me just give a one-liner for each one. Righteousness, that's departing from iniquity. It's godly living in line with the truth. Faith, that's a sincere confidence in God leading to enduring. Enduring suffering has been a theme in this letter. Love, that's a growing affection for others, promoting, prompting and promoting the preaching of the gospel. And then peace, that's genuine fellowship and harmony with other Christians. It's the opposite of divisions and quarrels. But that's not all of what Paul says here. He says, pursue these things along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. The pursuit of these things is not meant to be done alone, but in community. That's another reason why I'm so happy that we're here at Focus Together. We're in community. Keep this in mind over the summer when the fellowship with other Christian friends is not as accessible to you. The kind of community matters. It needs to be a God-centered, a community that's seeking him sincerely. Okay, now we're gonna flip back to A. He's gonna go over something that, that Timothy needs to avoid again. He says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Have nothing to do. He doesn't say, try to correct them a little bit. He just says, have nothing to do with them. Controversies. What are controversies? Well, you might say that they're, they're you might understand that it's arguments over what's not clear or, or speculations that, that are about unclear things. Paul uses the adjectives foolish and ignorant. So they're not according to knowledge or wisdom. Why? Paul gives, uh, case, just in case Timothy didn't another, need another reason, he gives them another one. Uh, he says, you know that they breed quarrels. So again, it leads to more ungodliness rather than righteousness. Perhaps you're noticing there's a theme here in terms of what to avoid. This is the third time that Paul has commanded Timothy to avoid quarrels and controversies. Third time. Okay, now Paul is going to, well, actually, just, just like Timothy, if you want to be a useful vessel to Jesus, it means fleeing arguments and controversies and pursuing righteousness with other Christians. Let me ask you, what would others say that you pursue? Do you pursue being right and winning every argument? Or do you pursue promoting righteousness and encouraging others? There's a big difference between these two things. How would others describe your community? Is your community friends to just hang out with? Or is your community Christians on a mission? Paul's now gonna conclude this whole section, starting in verse 24, and he's gonna switch to Timothy in in terms of how Timothy is teaching others. But we we notice that it's a conclusion because it's signaled by a switch in pronouns from the second person to the third person. He's been saying, you, 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 or you implied up to this point, and now he's gonna talk about the Lord's servant. But of course, Timothy is, is the Lord's servant, and, and, it, and so are you if you're a disciple of Jesus. Again, he's going to go over what, what to avoid. 
He says there in verse 24, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. You know, again, he could have picked a lot of different things to say that the Lord's servant shouldn't be, but he picks not be quarrelsome. This is the fourth time that Paul is cautioned against it. Why has, he, why has Paul gone after this so much with Timothy? Well, it may be that Timothy, in dealing with false teachers, he may have thought that he needed to argue or quarrel with them to convince them of what was right and true. But one problem with that thinking is that arguing doesn't change people's hearts. They've already chosen, to, these, these false teachers had already chosen to reject the truth, and they, they see themselves as the highest authority. Again, this is the fourth time that Paul cautions Timothy against this. The temptation to argue with Timothy and with us must run really deep, that we need four reminders in the, in the course of 12 verses here. And then we're going to end with, with, on a positive note, what must you do, what must Timothy do, what must me, we do in the last uh, section here after the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. He goes, he gives us four positive characteristics. And let's consider each of them briefly and then reflect on how they remind us of Jesus. The first one is, the Lord's servant must be kind to everyone. The manner and the spirit of the Lord's servant must be kind, no matter how they're treated. Second, the Lord's servant must be able to teach. He, must, he or she must be capable of imparting God's word to others. That's so central in trusting the gospel. It's, it's encoded in God's word. Third, the Lord's servant must patiently endure evil. The Lord's servant doesn't give up when mistreated, and mistreatment's going to come. It came for, for Paul, it came for Timothy. And then fourth, the Lord's servant uh, correct, corrects his opponents, his or her opponents with gentleness. The Lord's servant does proactively address wrong thinking and wrong behavior with the word. They don't shy away from that. They're not pushovers, but they don't bulldoze people. They're gracious about it. Isn't this ultimately a picture of Jesus? He's the ultimate servant of the Lord. He didn't argue. If there's anyone who could have won an argument, right? Jesus would have, he would have won everyone. He endured evil. He cor corrected his opponents with gentleness, and sometimes those opponents were his own disciples. And he did so with gentleness. It's a picture of Jesus. Why? Why should we do these things? Well, he goes on, and, and we're going to see that what's at stake is the salvation of souls. Look at verse 25. It says, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Who is the them in that verse 25? Well, it's the opponents that Paul mentioned earlier. Some of those opponents are elect some of those opponents are going to believe. He talks about repentance. He, there's two ways of describing the salvation here. Repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth or escaping uh, from the snare of the devil, coming to, to someone's senses. Notice it says in this text, God may perhaps grant them repentance. Only God can grant repentance. That's one reason why it's pointless to quarrel. We don't quarrel people into the kingdom. God has to grant repentance. But I also want you to notice, and certainly in verse 24 through 26, but I think implied in this whole section, that the vessels that God usually uses to rescue souls are servants like Timothy, who are described in verse 24. They're servants who are kind, not rude. They're servants who teach God's word well. 
Think of who God used to lead you to repentance. I mentioned at the beginning of our time, Pat and Bill, God used in my life. This, this highlights why our character and our handling of God's word matters. The salvation of souls is at stake. As we close, let's consider some last applications. If you're not a Christian, please consider the perilous state that you're in, according to verse 26. You are deceived about what is true, and you're under the devil's control. Could it be that today God is showing you the way out? Please respond to him. Repent of your sin and believe the truth about Jesus. There is no life outside of Jesus Christ. For those of you who are Christians, how does this passage practically equip us in the fight of gospel ministry? Just like Timothy, we've been talking about, we're in a spiritual battle that's raging all around us. What are you and I going to do if we want to be the Lord's servant, if we want to be a useful vessel for Jesus? As you minister to others, here it is, make sure your Bible is open and your words are kind. Bible open, focus on clear Bible truths. Don't get distracted into civilian affairs and argue secondary or debatable issues. Open Bible. But the other, the other part is kind words. Make sure that the content of your words and the manner of your words display kindness. That's an incarnation of the gospel. And especially when the other person's being unreasonable or being a jerk. Notice both of these go together. Some of you are more truth-oriented. Some of you are more kindness-oriented. We need to bring them together. Bible open. Kind words. We're promoting God's word. We're not promoting our own. But we're doing it in a manner that brings honor and glory to God. As your Bible is open and your words are kind, you will enjoy a front row seat of seeing God rescue eternal souls. There's no greater joy. Let's take a moment of silence to talk with the Lord, and then I'll close us in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for Jesus who was the ultimate servant of the Lord who laid his life down and he was uh, treated despicably. He was treated as a sinful vessel that we could be made teapots. Lord, would you help us to pursue your word and to flee quarrels about words. In Jesus' name, amen.